Jane Austen's Emma, Volume 3, Part 4, Chapters 10 through 12. In Chapter 10, a mystery is revealed at last, and Emma's reaction is quite intense. She is summoned to Randall's by Mr. Weston, where she meets Mrs. Weston looking very ill. Mrs. Weston proceeds to announce that Frank Churchill has formed an attachment, more than an attachment, an engagement, with Miss Jane Fairfax. They have been secretly engaged for some time. Quote, Emma even jumped with surprise and horror-struck, exclaimed, Jane Fairfax, good God, you are not serious. You do not mean it. Mrs. Weston initially is quite concerned on Emma's behalf, for she had hopes of Frank and Emma's marrying, and she is worried that Emma is in love with Frank, not realizing that Emma is past that. Quote, there has been a solemn engagement between them ever since October, formed at Weymouth, and kept a secret from everybody, not a creature knowing it but themselves, neither the Campbells nor her family nor his. Emma scarcely heard what was said. Her mind was divided between two ideas, her own former conversations with him about Miss Fairfax and poor Harriet, and for some time she could only exclaim and require confirmation, repeated confirmation, end quote. So Emma is immediately recalling the fact that she has been quite indiscreet in her remarks to Frank about Jane Fairfax, and now she has learned that he's been engaged to Jane all along. She is also concerned about Harriet because, in her mind, she believes that Harriet has formed an attachment to Frank Churchill and that she has encouraged it. Emma's distress is based on the fact that the secret engagement is a violation of the mutual trust that the community depends on. As she goes on to say to Mrs. Weston, I must say that I think him greatly to blame. What right had he to come among us with affection and faith engaged? and with manners so very disengaged. What right had he to endeavor to please, as he certainly did, to distinguish any one young woman with persevering attention, as he certainly did, while he really belonged to another? How could he tell what mischief he might be doing? How could he tell that he might not be making me in love with him? Very wrong, very wrong indeed. And how could she bear such behavior? Composure with a witness to look on while repeated attentions were offering to another woman before her face and not resented. That is a degree of placidity which I can neither comprehend nor respect. End quote. Mrs. Weston tries to minimize Emma's outrage somewhat by saying that there were misunderstandings between Frank and Jane and that these contributed to the impropriety of his conduct. But Emma replies, apparently with some heat, impropriety? Oh, Mrs. Weston, it is too calm a censure. Much, much beyond impropriety. It has sunk him. I cannot say how it has sunk him, in my opinion. So unlike what a man should be, none of that upright integrity, that strict adherence to truth and principle, that disdain of trick and littleness which a man should display in every transaction of his life, end quote which sounds very much like something that Mr. Knightley might have said. Emma is quite angry. To explain this a bit, we need to say a few words about how Austen viewed these kinds of secret engagements. For us here in the 21st century, we might well ask, 
What's the big deal? It's their business, whether the two lovers tell the world or not. But such secrets are generally not presented favorably in Austin. They represent an affront to the community, a betrayal of the mutual trust and openness that are the foundations of community. The secret is a deception that causes embarrassment and mortification. Emma complains to Mrs. Weston that all of them have been, quote, completely duped, fancying ourselves all on an equal footing of truth and honor with two people in the midst of us who have been carrying round, comparing and sitting in judgment on sentiments and words that were never meant for both to hear, end quote. Secondly, she is angry that Frank has paid her attentions while he belonged to another. And third, she recalls Frank's rude behavior toward Jane on more than one occasion, for example, flirting openly with Emma at Box Hill to conceal his real attachment, wondering how Jane could have borne the insult. This both embarrasses Emma for her part in the treatment of Jane, and it also represents a trifling of Emma's affections. And that is why Emma considers Frank's conduct much more than impropriety, as Mrs. Weston has characterized it. We might recall, for example, that in Frank's letter to Mrs. Weston, he has assumed that Emma had no feelings for him, how wrong he was. Terry Castle writes that, quote, in all her novels, Austin shows herself deeply suspicious of couples who shut out the rest of the world or pretend to a kind of superior knowledge. She is hostile towards antisocial human pairings, couples who relate only to one another and contribute nothing to the common good. Marriages in her novels are deemed good to the extent which they integrate the couple involved into the larger social community in which the marriage takes place. End quote. Emma tells Mrs. Weston, well, I suppose we shall gradually grow reconciled to the idea, and I wish them very happy, but I shall always think it a very abominable sort of proceeding. What has it been but a system of hypocrisy and deceit, espionage and treachery? End quote. And as to Emma's remark that Frank and Jane have been hearing opinions that they were never meant to hear, I am quite easy on that head, replied Mrs. Weston. I am very sure that I never said anything of either to the other, which both might not have heard. You are in luck. Your only blunder was confined to my ear when you imagined a certain friend of ours in love with the lady. True, but as I have always had a thoroughly good opinion of Miss Fairfax, I never could, under any blunder, have spoken ill of her, and as to speaking ill of him... There, I must have been safe. End quote. This is a bit of an ouch for Emma, who has had mixed feelings toward Jane Fairfax, though she has lately tried to overcome them and has felt more sympathetic towards her. Clearly, Mrs. Weston has never entertained or expressed any uncharitable thoughts about Jane, and as we know, Emma is not quite clear on that score. Chapter 11 opens with Emma's further reflections on this matter. Her first thoughts are for Harriet, poor Harriet, and the realization that she might have been encouraging Harriet's affections toward Frank Churchill, and she is quite angry with herself for that. 
Emma is also reflecting on Jane Fairfax's behavior. As noted in a previous chapter, Emma has made a number of kind gestures toward Jane and was somewhat miffed at the time at Jane's rejections of her offers. Now she can understand Jane's response. As the narrator says, Emma could now imagine why her own attentions had been slighted. This discovery laid many smaller matters open. No doubt it had been from jealousy. In Jane's eyes, she had been a rival, and well might anything she could offer of assistance or regard be repulsed. An airing in the Hartfield carriage would have been the rack. An arrow root from the Hartfield storeroom must have been poison. Emma has a conversation with Harriet to break the news of Frank's engagement and is surprised that Harriet seems much calmer than she had expected. She expected Harriet to be devastated. Emma says, I never had the slightest suspicion till within the last hour of Mr. Frank Churchill's having the least regard for Jane Fairfax. You may be very sure if I had, I would have cautioned you accordingly. Me? cried Harriet, coloring and astonished. Why should you caution me? You do not think I care about Mr. Frank Churchill. Him? Never, never. Dear Miss Woodhouse, how could you so mistake me? turning away distressed. Harriet, cried Emma after a moment's pause. What do you mean? Good heaven, what do you mean? Mistake you? Am I to suppose then? She could not speak another word. Her voice was lost, and she sat down, waiting in great terror till Harriet should answer. I should not have thought it possible, she began, that you could have misunderstood me. I know we agreed never to name him. But considering how infinitely superior he is to everybody else, I should not have thought it possible that I could be supposed to mean any other person. Mr. Frank Churchill, indeed. I do not know who would ever look at him in the company of the other. I hope I have a better taste than to think of Mr. Frank Churchill, who is like nobody by his side, and that you should have been so mistaken is amazing." Well, of course, Harriet has Mr. Knightley in mind. Emma has unwittingly encouraged her friend to set her sights on Mr. Knightley, and Harriet twists the knife when she goes on to say, At first, if you had not told me that more wonderful things had happened, that there had been matches of greater disparity, those were your very words, I should not have dared to give way to, I should not have thought it possible. But if you who had been always acquainted with him, end quote. This refers to the chapter in which, at Emma's insistence, the two agreed not to speak the name of the person that Harriet had in mind when they spoke of the service that the gentleman in question had rendered Harriet. Emma says, I am sure the service Mr. Frank Churchill has rendered you in protecting you from the gypsies was spoken of. But Harriet is instead remembering Mr. Knightley's gallantry in dancing with her at the ball after Mr. Elton had publicly snubbed her. Harriet also points out that she, quote, had been conscious of a difference in his behavior ever since those two decisive dances. Emma knew that he had, on that occasion, found her much superior to his expectation. From that evening, or at least from the time of Miss Woodhouse's encouraging her to think of him, Harriet had begun to be sensible 
of his talking to her much more than he had been used to do, and of his having indeed quite a different manner toward her, a manner of kindness and sweetness. Latterly, she had been more and more aware of it. When they had been all walking together, he had so often come and walked by her and talked so very delightfully. He seemed to want to be acquainted with her. Emma knew it to have been very much the case. She had often observed the change to almost the same extent. Harriet repeated expressions of approbation and praise from him, and Emma felt them to be in the closest agreement with what she had known of his opinion of Harriet. He praised her for being without art or affectation, for having simple, honest, generous feelings. She knew that he saw such recommendations in Harriet he had dwelt on them to her more than once, end quote. At first, Emma dismisses Mr. Knightley's attentions toward Harriet as being based merely on courtesy and his realization that he had previously misjudged her. But the more Harriet thinks about it, the more worried she is that Mr. Knightley may have genuine affection for Harriet. Harriet recalls one occasion when Mr. Knightley, quote, had talked to her in a more particular way than he had ever done before, in a very particular way indeed. Harriet could not recall it without a blush. He seemed to be almost asking her whether her affections were engaged, but as soon as she, Miss Woodhouse, appeared likely to join them, he changed the subject and began talking about farming, end quote. Emma replies, might he not, is not it possible that when inquiring, as you thought, into the state of your affections, he might be alluding to Mr. Martin? He might have Mr. Martin's interest in view, but Harriet rejected the suspicion with spirit. Mr. Martin? No, indeed. There was not a hint of Mr. Martin. I hope I know better now than to care for Mr. Martin or to be suspected of it. This is a cruel realization on Emma's part that all of this is her own doing because Harriet had at one time been perfectly happy with Mr. Martin before Emma persuaded her friend not to accept his proposal and encouraged Harriet to set her sights higher. Emma's torment brings her to an epiphany. Quote, With insufferable Vanity, she had believed herself in the secret of everybody's feelings, with unpardonable arrogance proposed to arrange everybody's destiny. She was proved to have been universally mistaken, and she had not quite done nothing, for she had done mischief. She had brought evil on Harriet, on herself, and she too much feared on Mr. Knightley. Were this most unequal of all connections to take place, on her must rest all the reproach of having given it a beginning, for his attachment she must believe to be produced only by a consciousness of Harriet's. And even were this not the case, he would never have known Harriet at all but for her folly. Mr. Knightley and Harriet Smith, it was a union to distance every wonder of the kind. The attachment of Frank Churchill and Jane Fairfax became commonplace threadbare, stale in the comparison, exciting no surprise, presenting no disparity, affording nothing to be said or thought. Mr. Knightley and Harriet Smith, such an elevation on her side, such a debasement on his. It was horrible to Emma to think how it must sink him in the general opinion to foresee the smiles, the sneers, the merriment it would prompt at his expense. 
the mortification and disdain of his brother, the thousand inconveniences to himself. Oh, had she never brought Harriet forward, had she left her where she ought and where he had told her she ought, had she not, with a folly which no tongue could express, prevented her marrying the unexceptionable young man who would have made her happy and respectable in the line of life to which she ought to belong. All would have been safe. None of this dreadful sequel would have been. How Harriet could ever have had the presumption to raise her thoughts to Mr. Knightley, end quote. Of course, Emma now knows this is all the consequence of her own actions. She has come full circle. For sometimes she has realized that she has meddled too much in Harriet's life, but she had still clung to the belief that encouraging Harriet to reject Mr. Martin had been the right move. Now she questions that decision as well. Chapter 12 opens with the line... Till now that she was threatened with its loss, Emma had never known how much of her happiness depended on being first with Mr. Knightley, first in interest and affection, end quote. She is now reflecting on what she would lose if she lost Mr. Knightley. Quote, wish it she must for his sake, be the consequence nothing to herself but his remaining single all his life. Could she be secure of that, indeed, of his never marrying at all? She believed she would be perfectly satisfied. Let him but continue the same Mr. Knightley to her and her father, the same Mr. Knightley to all the world. Let Donwell and Hartfield lose none of their precious intercourse of friendship and confidence, and her peace would be fully secured. Marriage, in fact, would not do for her, end quote. This sounds a bit like Emma's father in that she just wants things to continue as they have been before and not change. Mrs. Weston stops by after having visited Miss Bates, where she reports on a conversation that she had with Jane Fairfax. She has found Jane quite distressed about the private engagement. Poor girl, said Emma. She thinks herself wrong then for having consented to a private engagement. Wrong. No one, I believe, can blame her more than she is disposed to blame herself, end quote. Jane has told Mrs. Weston that she felt she had been acting contrary to all her sense of right. Emma goes on to say that, I hope she will be very happy. It is fit that the fortune should be on his side, for I think the merit will be all on hers. Such a conclusion could not pass unanswered by Mrs. Weston. She thought well of Frank in almost every respect, and what was more, she loved him very much, and her defense was therefore earnest, end quote. As Emma thinks now about Jane Fairfax, quote, she bitterly regretted not having sought a closer acquaintance with her and blushed for the envious feelings which had certainly been in some measure the cause had she followed Mr. Knightley's known wishes in paying that attention to Miss Fairfax, which was every way her due, had she tried to know her better, had she done her part towards intimacy, had she endeavored to find a friend there instead of in Harriet Smith, she must in all probability have been spared from every pain which pressed on her now, end quote. 
Emma reflects on her relationship with Jane Fairfax and all the misunderstandings that might have been avoided, as well as the realization that, had she sought friendship with Jane, she would not have needed to seek friendship with Harriet Smith, a friendship that has not benefited any of them. She is also reminded of the fact that all has turned out pretty much as Mr. Knightley had predicted. So it all seems to come back to Mr. Knightley. He was right, and she misses him.